Good morning. It's nice to see you today. Can you hear me? Oh, good. All right. Uh, Sister Vanessa, is my head getting cut off on the screen or is it still showing? Oh, good. Okay, perfect. All right. Just wanted to check. All right. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles, and this week I actually mean it, please, because we don't have a projector. So please turn with me into your Bibles uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 1. We will read through verse 12. Verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd his people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he went and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was born. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed there to their own country by another way. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you on this third day of Christmas. Thank you so much that you sent your son among us as a little baby to be one of us and to live life with us. Thank you for enjoying, enjoying your time here. In your name, Jesus, amen. <clears throat> we have some fascinating things going on in these verses. Uh, we, have, we have astrologers from Persia. Uh, we have the star of Bethlehem. And I have a lot to say about all those things, but they're not really conducive to a sermon. They're more like a Bible study, especially when there's no PowerPoint because you'd need pictures. And uh, so I can't do that today. Uh, if you want to hear some of that stuff uh, in the future, maybe sometime we can have a Bible study session. Maybe if someone wants to let me cut in on a Sunday morning or something before the sermon, 
I can have a presentation prepared and we can go over that uh, when we get the projector back. But today's sermon is going to be about uh, Herod. That's something more preachable. We're going to talk about Herod today. Herod is a fascinating character study in the Bible, but he's also one of the most misinterpreted. Uh, he's the king of the Jews, but he's not really Jewish at all. He was, only, he was Jewish in law. He married the Jewish princess from the Jewish ruling family at the time, the Maccabees. don't know if you've heard of those. But he was actually a, a, a descendant from Esau. He was basically an, he was an Edomite, or an Edomian, as they called them at the time. So he was uh, basically almost like an Arab warlord, for lack of a better term. And, uh, but he's a really fascinating man. Uh, he's kind of a portrait of humanity without boundaries. Uh, and uh, he's, he ends up kind of like most Middle Eastern tyrants that oppress the people. They kind of end up ending poorly, like Saddam Hussein or, what's, or Gaddafi. In, but in Matthew chapter 2, the Christmas story confronts Herod in every aspect of his life and reveals to him who he truly is by his response to the birth of our Lord Jesus. And in our own lives, we too are confronted by the Christmas story, and our response to it reveals to us what we're becoming as well. And in our text for today, I see three ways in which the kingdom of God engages our lives. Uh, the first way is, well, the Christmas story confronts us when the birth of Jesus invades our lives. This is why I sympathize with Herod and a lot of the people in the Christmas story. I mean, he was supposed to be, there he was, the king of the Jews, uh, you know, just oppressing the people and killing people left and right uh, to the adoring screams of his, you know, his uh, yes men. And uh, he ruled through mercenary oppression. He couldn't trust Jewish soldiers to obey him, so he had to actually hire mercenary soldiers from Persia and Africa and Egypt and, and Arabia. And out of nowhere, these wise men show up and confront him with the birth of his replacement, the real king of the Jews. I mean... That's like you walking into the office Monday morning and everyone else is talking about how this new guy was hired for your job. I, and it's kind of telling because Herod responds completely different. I mean, he was really put in the same situation as the Virgin Mary or maybe the, the priest Zechariah. They were both minding their own business too. I mean, even Joseph, you know, uh, the Virgin Mary's betrothed husband, he was minding his own business until the baby Jesus came. And this coming of Christ just kind of inconvenienced everyone's lives. <laughs> for, and I mean, honestly, I think that Joseph and Mary probably had different plans for their lives. Um, certainly King Herod had different plans for his lives, for how the next year was going to go before the angels started showing up and the dreams began. And I think that's kind of almost one of the real problems with the Christian story to a lot of people. I mean, if you live in the Western English-speaking world, sooner or later you hear the Christmas story. You hear about the baby Jesus, and then sooner or later 
you have to deal with it. I mean, it's, some, it's almost just easier to pretend you don't believe it or to ignore it. I mean, if the Christmas story is true, then we have to face it. I mean, those days of sitting on the couch playing video games are over. You know, all of a sudden, life matters. I'm sorry, that's sitting on the couch playing video games is the closest modern equivalent to what I imagine King Herod was doing when he wasn't killing people, you know, when he wasn't ruling through genocide and oppression. And I think it's kind of funny, is back in the olden days, everybody had to work just to get food for that day. Everybody had to work to survive back then. And nowadays, you know, a large portion of the family can, or of the population can just sit on the couch and play video games all day, you know, uh, and just consume resources while their, you know, girlfriends or moms work. And it's like the number of Herods has multiplied drastically uh, in the last 2,000 years. Because you see, Herod, you know, sitting on the couch playing video games or whatever he's doing, in his absolute power that he had achieved for himself through his own angling and maneuvering, he's kind of what everybody thinks they want to aspire to be. He was a self-made man. He was the Howard Hughes of his day. He clawed the way to the top at a very young age, and it ultimately destroyed him. Does anyone remember Howard Hughes? Does anyone remember how he died? How they found him? Yeah, that's, I don't even want to get into it. But when you think about it, Herod kind of just did what any human would have done if they were put in his place and left to their own devices for decades without the restraining grace of God and without no one ever being able to tell them no. I mean, everyone on this earth finds themselves in a situation, and it's very tempting to try to scheme or improve your situation and your position that you find yourself in. Maybe God puts you in the perfect spot at work, teaching middle school, but you don't want to teach middle school. You want to teach high school. You know, maybe God puts you in work at high school, teaching high school. You don't want to teach high school. You want to teach middle school. Or maybe you want to teach this. It's human nature to not be satisfied where God puts us. And then to try to maneuver and get the position we think we want, just feel the progress. And Herod simply succeeded where everybody else failed. He just, he, he won the game. He won the Game of Thrones. He, un, he achieved unlimited power and wealth. Uh, I mean, he was born into a warrior lifestyle, but he learned to swim with the sharks very early in battle. I mean, I think he won his first battle actually against the Jews, fighting and killing Jews in a raid when he was, you know, like 13 or 14. And then for the rest of his life, everything he did was try to hold on to that power around people and subjects who hated him. And the fear and paranoia of after he got to the top of the dog pile, the fear and paranoia, the, the insecure rage drove him mad. I mean, this man didn't just try to get rid of Jesus. This man killed the only woman he ever loved, that Jewish princess who he married to get the throne, he killed her in a crazy rage and was tormented by her death the rest of his life. He saw her ghost the rest of his life saying she was trying to torment him in his dreams. Uh, and more than that, he didn't just kill the only woman he ever loved, his queen. He didn't just try to kill Jesus and kill those little two-year-old boys. Uh, his 
he actually, throughout the years of his paranoid life, fearing someone was trying to come take his throne from him, he actually executed all five of his sons, or not all five, he killed five of his sons. Because when they were getting older and smarter and wiser, people started to think, hey, maybe that son would make a better leader than our cruel, crazy, mad, evil king. And they were probably right. People were probably right. And Herod knew they were probably right, which is why he had to kill his own sons so that nobody would stage a coup and put them in charge. Uh, Augustus Caesar, the Roman emperor, actually said one time, I would rather be King Herod's pig than his son. Because, you know, he can't eat the pig. He can't kill the pig because he can't eat it. And the sad thing is, in this man's desperate struggle to control everything and everyone around him, to to own this title, King of the Jews, that Augustus Caesar, the Antichrist, gave him, kind of ironic, he sacrificed every, he sacrificed and destroyed every, what should be, what every every loving relationship around him in order to ensure that death grip on the throne. And then, He maintained his rule over those Jews he hated through just regular genocidal purges like Stalin or some communist regime. And then after 40 years of doing this, after he'd finally achieved a bit of security and stability, what's supposed to be his twilight years of finally hoping for peace, out of nowhere, three aristocratic wizards from Persia show up asking about the king of the Jews who was born to replace him. Oh, that had to hurt. I mean, and it was kind of a, one of those happy accidents of history that these Persian wizards experienced a sort of de facto diplomatic immunity in King Herod's court, or he just would have killed them and gotten rid of them too. But the only reason Herod ruled over Judea for Rome was because he maintained a buffer state between the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire, who were kind of locked in a deadly Cold War, kind of like Russia and the United States back in the day. And Herod's job was to to avoid international incidents like this. If he killed those guys, it could have set, it could have been a nightmare geopolitically. And so the last thing he could afford to have was dead Persian elites on his soil because we can't give Persia an excuse to invade Roman land. So as inconvenienced as he was by this coming of Christ, it wasn't something he could just ignore or kill like he always did. It's not something we can ignore either. Christmas Day happens. I don't know if you noticed, but whether you were a Christian or not in America, you still couldn't go to research two days ago. Whether you believed in Jesus or not, that resource was closed. You know, I mean, and just, I mean, who didn't, who went to work on Christmas? Did anyone go to work on, did anyone go to have to go to work on Christmas? I'm sorry if you did. No one, good. I didn't go to work on Christmas. And for the most part, buying, selling, office politics, and just any sort of sphere of influence where we could scheme and maneuver, well, except for our families, right, was kind of shut down for Jesus' birthday. It just took a break. 
And it was really sad because to some people that was a living hell just to be alone with themselves with nothing to do for 24 hours. Did anyone think about the work they could be doing? Did anyone go, oh, I need to get some work done? I hope you didn't feel that way. I hope you realized this beautiful day was for what it was. And this was a blessed Sabbath rest for you to enjoy our Savior's coming. Because it's only, an, the, the coming of Christ was only an inconvenience to Herod because he made it be one. He chose he chose to view it that way. And it's only an inconvenience to us if we make it be that. I think a, a second way the, sermon, the Christmas story confronts us with the ultimate reality, confronts our lives, is not just with the birth of Jesus, but also with the reality of Scripture. Not only could you not avoid Jesus' birthday two days ago, you also couldn't avoid this. I mean... Charlie Brown's Christmas special quotes it. I mean, even Herod had to refer to it. It's kind of funny. When the angel Gabriel, you know, barged in on the Virgin Mary, and she went to go see Elizabeth, when, the Holy, when she had that faith and responded yes to God, she sang by the Holy Spirit, and she actually quoted or paraphrased. Who's ever read Mary's song? You ever read Mary's song? Okay. Mary's song, when she bursts into that Holy Spirit-inspired song of faith, she actually quotes or paraphrases 23 different passages in the Old Testament in the 26 verses she sang, okay? She clearly knew God's word. And that's one way to respond to the inconvenience of Jesus and the reality of Scripture. And the good news for Herod is even he has to acknowledge he had to give God his due. Even he had the good sense to consult Scripture, whether he wanted to or not. He had to, verse 4 says, he assembled the chief priests and the scribes and inquired of them, where is the Christ going to be born? And they had to refer to God's word. But then he does what so many of us catch ourselves doing. I've caught myself doing this too. Like so many of us, or at least all of us at one point or another, instead of hearing God's word and letting it move us to repentance and just tasting God's goodness, tasting and seeing the Lord is good and having it lead us to repentance, he does the exact opposite. Instead of letting the word judge him, he hears the word and then he judges it himself. He hears the word, evaluates it, and just tries to suck out any truth and information he can get out of it to further his own agenda. Herod's far more, Herod consults the word of God, but he's far more concerned with how the word of God affects him than he is that it's realizing and living in the reality that it is the living word of God. And it's always good, regardless of his opinion and regardless of how it actually affects him. John the Baptist is a good example of how Herod should have responded. Oh, Jesus is here now. He's the king of the Jews. He must increase, I must decrease. That would have been the right way to respond to the scripture and let the scripture judge him. And it's so easy for us to do that. It's so easy to see a problem in our world or a problem with someone else. I mean, the more I read the Bible, the more I'm convinced that the Bible only works when you're reading it 
for yourself. Scripture's like a gun that's always pointed at you to work correctly, you know, like the handle just turned back around. I mean, who's ever read the Bible and thought of somebody else like, uh-huh, he needs to read that verse. Has anyone ever done that? Yeah, I do it too. <laughs> yeah, we're not supposed to do that. Because when we're reading God's word for others and seeing how other people need to change or fix, we turn the gospel into a law. We turn it, and we turn it to a law pointed and directed at them rather than us. And we hear God's word ourselves, and when we do that, we decide, we're the one deciding how it's going to apply to us instead of letting it speak to us as God's holy word. And, and that's exactly what Herod did. Instead of going there in worship to meet the king of the Jews himself in some little shabby Bethlehem, King Herod in Jerusalem sends his hit squad to kill the little babies two and under. Now, it doesn't make any sense. Of course it's irrational, because if the living God is powerful enough to call his shot and prophesy where the king of the Jews is going to be born, he's probably strong enough to thwart anything Herod's doing. He's certainly powerful enough to save the Messiah from Jesus. But Herod can't help himself, because like anyone who is treating Scripture as a servile tool instead of a master's decree, Herod's just trying to ice skate uphill, uphill and deal with it the only way he knows how. Because Herod knows that if the prophecies, that because the prophecy is true, he's not the boss anymore, and he must stop it. And when we read this story, we need to remember we're not the boss anymore either, because Every one of us has a Jerusalem in our hearts. Everyone has a royal city in our hearts with a, with a palace and a throne on it. And everyone wants to sit on that throne in our deepest heart of hearts. It's just human nature. I mean, sometimes we like to think we're Jabez and that God's expanding our territory for us. And we try to Christianize our, and we try to Christianize our desire to maneuver and control stuff. But deep down, sometimes we just want the sphere of influence for our own sake because we have Herodian tendencies. And Jesus and God are coming not to take those away from us to be mean, but because those will destroy us. God came in peace as a beautiful little baby. He is trying to show you he's coming as gentle and harmless and non-threatening as he can. But he's still the king. He can't help it. That's just who he is. The sword is his. The crown is his. And most importantly, the, he's not trying to confront us in a negative way and have it end badly. He's not coming to humiliate us or shame us. He's coming to save us. But nonetheless, because our hearts are so darkened by sin sometimes, the Christmas story comes, third and finally, and confronts us with our response to it. We have to deal with our responses and the consequences to the, Jesus, the Christmas story, whether we like it or not. King Herod responded to the Christmas story with a wholehearted rejection of his soul. Joseph, the husband of Mary, on the other hand, responded with a yes to God. And when we respond to the Christmas story with a yes, it is a wonderful life. I mean, Joseph 
the husband of Mary, is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He's a guy I look up to all the time. And we know Joseph had a wonderful life. Do you know why we know Joseph had a wonderful life and a good life and that he didn't screw anything up? Do we know why that is? Why do you think that is, Steve? That's part of it. The other part is, we know he didn't screw anything up because the Gospels don't talk about him. He's a bit part. The Gospels don't talk about Joseph at all, except to say he did the right thing once, and then just left it at that. He never appears again. And that's the Bible's way of saying someone did the right thing. The two biggest heroes of faith in the Bible are Isaac, the son of Abraham, and Joseph, the husband of Mary. They never tried to be Herod. They did not try to exalt themselves on the throne and try to rule themselves or other through coercion and power. They did not want to be Caesar or Alexander the Great or Pharaoh or whatever Antichrist figure we can think of. In a world with way too many chiefs and not enough Indians, they just submitted to the Holy Spirit and served their purpose in God's plan. And it's not that they were bit players at all. It's not that the wise men were bit players at all. They had a huge story, and they were the star of it. But they're bit players in God's word just because it appears that way, because they just obeyed and went on with their lives. And it's not that they're not going to get any glory in heaven. Your service and your well-doing down here matter. The Bible doesn't talk about them. That's good. Because Whenever the Bible talks about anyone, like they talk about King Herod here and make him the star of this little show, it's because they're stepping into the spotlight and trying to save the day or trying to save themselves. And if you read any of our Old Testament characters that you know, people name their sons after, they screwed up a lot. Abraham screwed up quite a bit, and that goes for Jacob and David too. Honestly, through the eyes of Scripture, Samson is far less of a screw-up than a lot of those guys that we idealize. But we understand Samson for the mess he is, and the others, we don't seem to get it. But the stories of Abraham, Adam, Jacob, and David, and Samson are all about God saving his people with his plan for his one big family and to save his family members themselves from ruining it over and over again. And then finally, in one perfect moment, we have wise men, we have Joseph, and we have Mary all saying yes to God at the perfect time. It's the kind of response that I'm hoping to have this Christmas story. It's the kind of response I want in my life for this coming year. And I hope that you have this response in your life as well. I hope that my response this Christmas season is one of accepting the king of the Jews and that he has come to reign from Bethlehem, but he's going to end up reigning in Jerusalem. Not just the Jerusalem on earth, in the Holy Land. I mean the Jerusalem of our hearts. Everyone has a city in their hearts. I want him to take up his throne in my life and have his kingdom come to me and mine. And my prayer for you this year, this Christmas, is that he comes to your heart as well. Because when we pray God's kingdom come, we want it to come because the kingdom's going to come one way or the other. Herod died a horrible death, one of the most horrible deaths you can possibly imagine, and it was slow and painful, and it was all of his own doing. But that's not why Jesus came. 
Jesus came so that everyone could have life and have it to the full. And I pray that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we really mean it. When we say that king, might thy kingdom come, we want God's kingdom to come in our life. We want to respond to Jesus and welcome this king coming on Christmas so that he can give us the life he came to give us. Because that's what the Christmas season is about. It's the kingdom of heaven breaking in and invading the kingdom of earth, invading our normal lives, and invading our day-to-day hustle and bustle, and then giving our families and our hearts and our church a little special something in the relationships. That's what, Christian, that's what Christmas is about. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, and good and goodwill towards men. That is God's prayer for us, too, and for you. It's his wish for us to have it this Christmas. But before we can experience this in our lives like he wants us to, we have to get the baby Jesus out of the manger in Bethlehem and upon the throne in our hearts. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Merry Christmas, everyone.